The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The Michael Duke Show. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature. That's right. It's the one day a week that we dedicate to discussions of the Second Amendment, gun rights, firearms news, and so much more. As we like to say, thank goodness, it's Firearms Friday, TGIFF, or finally, fire TGIFFF. Or TGIFFFF, which I can't even say on the air. All right. Hey, welcome back to the program. It is The Michael Duke Show. And I want to thank you for joining me today, whether it's on the plain old regular terrestrial radio, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, or whether you're joining me on the internet through the audio only live stream or one of the many simulcasts, uh, since we're broadcasting this also on uh, Facebook, YouTube and Twitch as well. Good morning to all of you. All of you, good morning, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. News break. Um, We've got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about today. Now, normally Firearms Friday is kind of my chill, relaxing day, but today could be the day that I get wound up because, boy, there are some stories where people just seem to be itching for a fight. Um, And I, I mean, I'm talking like fight, fight, like... Uh, Oh, man, so much crazy stuff going on. Um, Gun show in Sterling, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 4, says Jeannie. Uh, Just a note. Okay, so we'll we'll tell you more about that. I'll get some details on it from somebody down there. And uh, who knows what. A little crisp, a little cool this morning, but that's because the clouds have peeled back yesterday. Oh, man, did it get nice yesterday afternoon. Uh, it got beautiful, beautiful sunny day. Looks like today is going to be the same. I can see the little sliver of blue sky out between my, I got my drapes closed here in my studio. I can just see this little sliver of blue sky. It's going to be nice today. Finally, down in South Central, a nice weekend. Uh, don't know exactly what's going on in the rest of the state right now, but I'm sure somebody will fill me in on it from the peninsula down all the way down into Homer, all the way up to Fairbanks. We'll know what's going on here as we go through uh, the program this morning. All right. So Firearms Friday, uh, again, a chance to sound off and discuss and talk about the the state of the, the state of the world, the state of the nation when it comes to firearms ownership. And you may say, well, why, Mike? Why do you, you know, you're not, you don't care usually about national stuff. You can't do anything. Yeah, but this is the one thing that I just refuse to let go of. I may have given up on most of the other national politics simply because 
I just don't feel like we can make a difference on it. But this one, this one is too near and dear to my heart. I've got to keep fighting on this one because, you know, it's interesting. Um, in the history of America, firearms played a pivotal role, uh, not just in the foundation of the nation, not just in the foundation of the country, but of course, in the growth of the country, the, sorry, I got cat hair on me, uh, the growth of the country, uh, the westward expansion, the manifest destiny of people traversing the United States, uh, with a dream and a prayer of making a better life for themselves, uh, where there was no civilization, where they, in fact, were responsible for their own safety, their own uh, protection, and so much more. It is, um, it is uh, definitely a, uh, a, a, a pivotal part, an integral part. Uh, integral? Integral. Integral. How do you say it? I say integral, uh, but I know some people say integral. Uh, I don't. Either way, it was in a very important part. Um, it was a very important part of the formation of the country, uh, not only the creation of it, but later on again that expansion. Uh, and it is something that is uniquely American. Now that may mean that the rest of the world looks at you like you're a little bit crazy, right? I have had discussions with people from other countries when they find out what I do and we get down into the weeds on it and they start talking about it. And I mention Firearms Friday and they'll be like, yeah, you Americans and your obsession with firearms, I we just don't understand it. To which I politely say, and that's why we became a free country, because you don't understand it, because you are willing to basically, you know, bow down to a king or a government, a parliament, a dictator, a monarch, a tyrant, a king, whatever it is, and Americans had had just had enough of it. And the founders were smart enough to understand that the only way that uh, you know that that we were going to be able to continue to protect ourselves, the because here's the thing. You can agree or disagree with many of the things and many of the beliefs that the founders had, the foibles. I mean, you know, first thing you always hear is when you start talking about the founders and stuff, they're like, well, Jefferson was a slaveholder and Washington hid his slaves so they wouldn't have to. I mean, there's always they were flawed individuals. All right. Let's just first put that on the table. Sure. They had their problems. They had their mistakes. But overall, they were pretty smart guys. They understood history. They understood the nature of things. They understood the nature of government. Um, that's why you see so many writings from people like Madison and Jefferson and, and uh, Adams and, and everyone else talking about the dangers of, um, of governance. Uh, they were concerned about it. They were worried. Uh, the, you know, the, the amendments were put in there. Uh, the Bill of Rights was actually put together later in the game, later on in the game, because they understood that as perfect a document as they had in the Constitution or as good as a document that they had in the Constitution, there would still be ways for people in power to try and work those things around. And so they tried to future proof that by putting the Bill of Rights in there and delineating specifically uh, what 
the government it could or could not do. You see, it's it's a restriction. Here's the thing: the the, the Bill of Rights is not really for you or me specifically. It's built as a prescriptive restriction on government. It it orders. It doesn't say you should be free. It doesn't say you should have this right. It doesn't say any of those things. What it does, it says, shall not be infringed. That the right of the people shall, it is it is a restrictive document on government. And I got to tell you, bureaucrats from, <laughs> bureaucrats from 1813 on have been trying to find ways around that stuff because that is just the nature of of government. It is the nature of bureaucracy. It is the nature of people. Um, it is, you know, so many different things. Uh, Nick Baggage, who was on the program yesterday, uh, made a comment that I let go in passing, but I had to chuckle because the, he was talking about the makeup of different politicians. And we were talking about politicians in Congress and how they were just ignoring, you know, the warning signs of the dad and the spending and everything else. And he said, you know, and some of them are just have, you know, this psychotic narcissistic syndrome kind of thing. And that is really the case throughout history. You can look at those people. There there are very <clears throat> there are very few politicians or leaders throughout history who have been, you know, what I would consider to be selfless statesmen, kind of things like that. It is about the pursuit of power. It is about the pursuit of self-aggrandizement. It is about many of those things that in the long run, maybe it doesn't always start out that way, but it eventually ends up kind of being that way. And of course, power begets more power. Uh, and bureaucracies, by their very nature, have a tendency to grow. Um, I I'm trying to think of who it was that um, um, it wasn't Bastiat. It was um, Descartes. I, I can't remember who it was now. Uh, they actually had a there was a treatise about bureaucracy. Um, one of the uh, one of the French philosophers uh, was talking about the nature of I'll have to go look that up now. I can't remember who it was, but it was basically talking about that. This is just the nature of government, that it will grow. And they knew that the founders, again, going back to the founders, they were pretty smart guys. They understood that. Hence the reason why. Number two in the Bill of Rights, I always look at them as almost in order of importance. You have to have the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. And but you know, then you got to back it up. You got to back up all these rights. As it says in the beginning of the theme song for the show, the the right to keep and bear arms is the one rights that allows rights to exist at all. Because it is the one thing that backs it up. And that's what the framers talk about. And then you hear the quote from Jefferson about watering the tree of liberty with the blood of patriots and tyrants and all this kind of stuff. And people go, oh, that was just a... But it's, he, what he's, I think what he's basically saying is it's a warning to people to understand that that is what has, you know, that is kind of the, the warning of government is going to grow. And you have to shake up the train every now and then to remind them that this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, not by the government, for the government. I mean, it's not, that's not what it's about. But, you know, we've seen <clears throat> the idea uh, of America be turned on its head. We've seen the idea that 
all power that flows to the federal government should flow from the states. I've often said that, you know, in the beginning, the, <clears throat> the distribution of power in the United States looked like a funnel, right? Just, a, just picture a big wide funnel. And across the top of the funnel, the big wide end of it, is all the 13 states that were there. And any power that they wanted, to, they passed it down to the federal government. And then the government could only exercise those powers that were relegated or given to them or, you know, basically uh, given to them by the Constitution or <clears throat> empowered to them by the states. Then, of course, you know, we plot along for, you know, 60, 70, 80 years, and then the Civil War takes place, and <clears throat> that funnel gets turned on its head, and now it becomes a pyramid. And now all power instead flows from the federal government down to the states. And that at that point, the... I mean, I could just hear the founders rolling over in their grave at that point, because that was the direct inverse of what they were after. The, you know, and so we can't argue with it now. I mean, this it is what it is. People are, you know, you start talking about things like states' rights and the Western Sagebrush Rebellion and some of these other things where states were trying to stand up to the federal government. And people just look at you crazy like, well, why would you do that? I mean, the government is the, the I, I, because that's what was originally intended, that the states have their way. And instead, we've looked to Uncle Sugar more and more and more to solve our problems. I mean, we got the Department of Ed that got created and these national agencies that got created, most of which have no real constitutional you know, derivative or authority to begin with, other than administrations and congresses have let them go uh, and created them and then let them just run amok. Uh, but now we're starting to see a little bit of a renaissance. And with the changes in the Supreme Court and things like that, we're starting to see, I mean, some pushbacks. The EPA versus Sackett was one of them, where the Supreme Court said, you as an agency don't have the authority to do what you're doing. You don't have the authority to rule that all lands with water on them are wetlands. That's a congressional issue. You should do that. Same thing's going on um, uh, same thing's going on in the ATF with the whole push on bump stocks and uh, uh, arm braces and 3D printed guns and everything else. This expanding definition, this administrative <clears throat> fiat of trying to create laws through administrative instead of going through the legislative process. And the judges are starting to call call them out on it and say, you do not have the constitutional authority to do this without putting it through the legislative process. And so some of these agencies are getting called to heel on it. And so I'm a little heartened uh, about what we're seeing. But this whole thing was basically to talk about why firearms are so important in America, because they understood that it was an implicit check on the natural growth of government and bureaucracy. An implicit check, an implied check. It wasn't an overt. Nobody was standing in front of them in a lobby uh, shaking their rifle at them saying, you know, do this or else. It was an implied threat, knowing that if they, they could only go so far. If they went too far, well, the citizenry may take up arms and have something to say about that. And so that is really what has made America, even with all its warts and blisters and boils and problems and, you know, chaos and polarization and all the bad things that are going on today. We're still 
the best choice in the world. We're still people are still dying to get in here. We're still the shining example on the hill. It might be a little tarnished, but we're still the shining example on the hill. And I would argue that the reason that we are, the reason we are still as free as we are, is because we are an armed populace that could tell the government no. That I mean, not that we have. Not that I'm threatening that. I'm just saying that that is the implicit threat of government overreach being held at bay. From that, people, you know, well, we can only push them so far and then it's done. But there's still dangers out there. There are still dangers out there. People encouraging folks to ignore the Constitution, overturning things, manipulating perverting what is our right and freedom. We're going to talk about that today. Phone lines are open as well. 907-433-3150. We're going to be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Michael Duke Show. Well, good morning, my pretties, and your little dog, too. How are you? How how are you? Um, What's going on? Whoa, Greg. I just looked down. Greg's like, perverts being perverts. What is, what did I miss? What did I miss? Um, Okay. Uh, it's all good. Who isn't a flawed individual, says Brian. Yeah, I mean, that's, who isn't? Who isn't a flawed individual? Um, that's the case. I mean, which, who amongst us has not had serious issues or problems or, you know, made grave errors that we later had to correct? Or maybe some of us just never corrected it. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, doesn't mean that we're always a hundred percent wrong because we're flawed. In fact, if it was all if they, if we had to choose it by flaws, none of us would be right. If that was the way, then nobody would ever nothing would ever get done. We all have our own little foibles and flaws. That's for sure. Um, Jeannie's going to Seward, <laughs> leaving sunshine for who knows what kind of weather. Um, it's, I mean, it's going to be a beautiful day. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, uh, the gun show this weekend is at the Sterling senior center. Uh, ITS Sterling just took a pile of cars to this. Just look for the pile of cars on the side of the highway. You can't miss it. Okay. Thank you. Um, and this moment in time, our government is pretty much ignoring the Constitution. The day of revolution is nearer by the day. I, you know, I don't like to think that way. Um, and I, like I said, I think that there's been a little bit of resurgence, especially in the courts, where they're basically going back and saying, no, look, look at the historical perspective. I mean, the Bruin decision is a bellwether decision, not just for firearms rights, but back to the more constructionalist you know, uh, part of the, uh, of the constitution to basically say, this is what they intended. And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's a good thing. And, and again, the, 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 the Supreme court ruling on the EPA versus Sackett, the Supreme court ruling 
uh, you know, on Bruin, the Fifth Circuit court rulings on the ghost gun parts and the and the and the arm braces and the bump stocks and things like that, where they have deemed that these agencies just do not have the power. See, this is all about assumption. Uh, people just assume that because the president or whatever says that, well, this is what it is. They have been conditioned to believe, well, the government's always right. It's got to be. Although you could point to history, even in the last 60 years of history, at points where the government has been horrifically, catastrophically wrong. And yet this is another case where the courts are now saying, you can't do, you don't have the authority per the Constitution to do that. So there are some things changing. And uh, and I like that. I, I mean, I, I like that very much so. Uh, can we please have a president with fewer flaws? I haven't seen, I'll be honest with you, Donna, I haven't seen a can one from this batch yet that has fewer flaws. I mean, some have fewer flaws than others, but oof, man, that's all I'm saying. And now, and now Harold is pro-Trump. I didn't know that. Harold is now pro-Trump. So apparently he changed his mind again. Um <clears throat> Amen. The world is so wacky. I want a president that isn't in the news every day. You know, it's funny because Calvin Coolidge was one of the most laid back, quiet presidents out there. And he did a lot. If you look at his history as, as a president and it, they asked him about it one time and he was basically like he, he kind of wanted to, I just want to be I just want to take care of business and let it lay back and go. I mean, why can't we all be Calvin Coolidge in that regard? I mean, anyway, it's an interesting, interesting thing. All right, um, we are ready to jump back into it. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, uh, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Like and share, like and follow, subscribe, ring the bell, do the stars, super chats on YouTube or super th- stickers or whatever on you. Just whatever you feel like. Come on down. Let's get more folks involved in the conversation, shall we? I got a, I got a, well. It's a whole other thing. Maybe we'll talk about that in the next break. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Well, it's uh, now that I've given you, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes I open my mouth and I'm just never quite sure what's going to come out. I was I was planning on doing something a little different, but then once I got on a tear, I'm just like, oh, well, I got to tell you all about this. I got to give you the history lesson. I got to talk about the thing. And, you know, in my, you know, it, it, and I'm trying to weave together. Again, I'm, I love history and I love the, I'm a student of history. And so I'm trying to, to weave my beliefs and philosophies into the story to say, this is what history says and this is what I believe it means. I mean, that's why, again, firearms are a uniquely American ideal because we grew up with it as a nation. Uh, some of us actually grew up with it in, in that. But I mean, as a nation, we grew up that way. And that's why we're so... American. I, mean, I just I don't even know how to say that anymore. I mean, we we are a different critter. 
even today, as divided as we are, and, uh, you know, with 27 genders and all the, even all that, we are a unique batch of folks. You know, we're the same nation that we could be as divided as we want to be, but the moment that there's an external threat and things come in, we, you know, it's like the whole band of the hand thing, right? Anybody else remember band of the hand? Uh, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, we're five individuals, but when the time comes, we close together like a fist and we strike kind of thing. It's that kind of ideal. We're rugged individualists, but we can pull together in times of crisis. You know, we are rugged individuals, but we can come together when it's important. And like I said, we're still the best. I mean, there's not many other places in the world where people are dying to get into it. Not many. Not not a many that I can really, you know, can can uh, can get into. But here we are. And yet there are still people, um, there are still people that want to blow that all straight to hell. Uh, and we're going to talk about that here. There's a new report out from some, uh, 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 some law professors, a uh, forthcoming paper from the Notre Dame Law Review Reflection. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about some new shenanigans from the ATF. The ATF seems to be back to their uh seems to be back to their old tricks of the a la Ruby Ridge and Waco old tricks. Um uh they've been very quiet for many years on the whole, you know, professional raid front and stuff like that, but I, we're going to talk about that here uh in a little bit. Uh also country music. Who thought country music could be so divisive in so many ways. Uh, there's a whole story on that. Um, New Zealand, which along with Australia is being held up as the bastion. I mean, this is the this is what we want, right? I mean, that's what they always say. We should just follow Australia's example. And then later on, after the Christchurch shooting, um, where New Zealand went just absolutely just ape poo bananas and basically outlawed everything. And then they're like, oh, we should follow New Zealand's example. Um, that still didn't stop what happened. <laughs> uh, still didn't stop what happened on Thursday, um, which was another mass shooting in New Zealand. We'll get into details on that. Massachusetts, those people have lost their ever loving minds over in Massachusetts. Um, <clears throat> I mean, is this the whole, what's the, what's the pejorative, the, the mass holes? Uh, I mean, that's what they're saying is Massachusetts, that place. Um, they've got a whole new, they've got a whole new law, a uh, gun regime that they're trying to put forward after Bruin that many of the gun pro gun folks are calling the lawful citizens imprisonment act law. They're they're imprisoning lawful citizens, but forget about, uh, but forget about, uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, forget about the the criminals. It's just the lawful citizens. But let's talk for just a minute about what we hear all the time. What do we hear all the time about gun control? Right. What's one of the what's one of the the common themes or the thematic 
thing that we keep hearing from the news media and the talking heads and everything else. Anybody in the chat room, you guys write that down. You guys tell me what you think is the one thing that you keep hearing. What is the one thing that the news media, especially over the last mm, eight, nine, ten years, has repeatedly hammered on about gun control? Uh, when they're doing their newscasts and their broadcasts and they're talking about the benefits of gun control and everything else, what is the one thing that they keep pointing out in those news stories? I mean, really about almost anything to do with guns. What do they keep pointing out over and over and over again? The one thing that they seem to keep pointing out and that we keep hearing and that I keep finding very hard to believe is the fact that they say all these gun measures are supported by a majority of the people. All the polling shows that every American is in support of, uh, that every American is in support of gun control and universal background checks and assault weapons bans and all these things. They're all in favor of it. How The only way that they don't get passed is the damn MRA. Those NRA, they're holding up the whole world. My God, I mean, you really think one organization, even one as large as the NRA, is going to be able to stop, you know, you think that that's really it? But that's what we've heard, right? Especially over the last 10 years that, oh, more and more support. Even Republicans, when polled, support the yada, yada. We keep hearing that over and over and over again, that somehow there's a new poll saying that gun control of some type or another is popular and that people really want anti-Second Amendment regulations. But the truth is that gun control doesn't pass because no one really wants it. And see, polling in some ways is easy because when you start asking questions about things like, um, you know, do, should, should, should there be background checks? Should there be mental health checks? You know, in general, people will say yes. Uh, John Lott and Thomas Massey wrote an opinion piece here earlier this year talking about that there is no firm, sustained support for gun control. They, they, he says, a frequent talking point in the gun control debate is that Americans are overwhelmingly support common sense gun control measures, like universal background checks and red flag, uh, red flag laws. Gun control advocates claim that over 90% of Americans support universal background checks that would require checks for privately exchanged firearms. Uh, Politi- PolitiFact and Snopes and all the, they all support those claims. Then why won't Congress pass a background check? Well, then of course they say, well, it's the NRA. But see, let's go back to 2016. Despite Michael Bloomberg's and his every town billion dollar financing of all these ballot measures, Ballot initiatives for universal background checks in Maine failed by over 4%. And one in Nevada by less than 1%. And in Maine and Nevada, the background check initiatives had millions of dollars poured into them and immediate outlets who were sympathetic to that whole cause. So, but if in Maine they were, it was so great, why didn't it pass? Well, so... Lot and Massey get down into it and they take a look at this and they said, if the surveys conducted by gun control advocates were accurate, these should have been easy wins because they keep saying 90 percent of the people support gun control. Right. But surveys often ask 
just a very simple question, such as, do you support or oppose requiring background checks on all gun sales and transfers? The actual laws could be dozens of pages long, but they're asking a single sentence about dozens of pages and far more you know, complicated issues. So CPRC, the Crime Prevention Research Center, which is J- John Lott is the president of, they hired McLaughlin and Associates to survey 1,000 likely voters from February 17th to February 22nd of this year. And when asked if they support background checks on all gun sales or transfers, likely voters expressed support a whopping 86 to 11 percent. So there's your close to 90 percent margin, right? Those who strongly supported the policy outnumbered those who strongly opposed. Then two follow-up questions were asked. The first was, these laws are called universal background checks. Let's say a stalker is threatening a female friend of yours late on a Saturday night. She asks if she can borrow your handgun until she has a chance to buy one. She is trained and has no criminal uh, criminal record. If you loaned her the gun, this law would make you a felon. Would you support or oppose the law? Well, that's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? Now, respondents opposed background checks, 44 to 42 percent. Now, Democrats, they were strongly supported the laws. Republicans were opposed. But in the back, 44 to 42 percent. Then they offered a second uh, question, a second, you know, scenario. A Boy Scout troop is going for his uh, uh, going for his skeet shooting badges. If you lend the scoutmaster your shotguns, you would be committing a felony. Would you support or oppose this law? They now opposed it 45 percent with a similar demographic breakdown. Then they went on to talk about red flag laws, and they talked about what red flag laws were and what was involuntary commitment, because all 50 states have involuntary commitment laws. And when they got down to it, uh, first of all, the Americans were supporting such laws two to one or three to one. But when they started to talk about the difference between red flag laws and involuntary commitment laws, where they were told that there were no court proceedings before the guns were taken away and that there were no mental health care experts involved in the entire process, they opposed it 47 to 29 percent, going from three to one in favor to well over two to one opposed. And they were asked if they preferred involuntary commitment laws or red flag laws, but they were told that the involuntary commitment laws provided for evaluations by mental health experts, uh, a court hearing before a judge, a lawyer's provided, there's a less extreme range of options, uh, and all this other kind of stuff. And the respondents favored the involuntary commitment laws over red flag laws by basically 40 to 33 so, see, it's all about how you, what questions you ask and how you ask the questions. You want to know why we don't have more gun laws if 90% of the people support them as they constantly, the constant refrain, 80 to 90%. It's because the basic tw- tweetable question is one thing, but when you get down into this very complex issue, there's a lot more to it. Uh, anyway, next time we have Dr. Lott on the program, we will uh, we'll 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 discuss this one specifically because this is an interesting case study. 
All right, we're up against the break. Uh, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Uh, phone lines are open, by the way. I don't know if I said that earlier, but I've got the phone lines up and running. 907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off today on this beautiful Firearms Friday, we'd love to hear from you. Up next, the shenanigans from the ATF. Oh, prepare to get heated. We're going to talk about that on the other side. It's Firearms Friday. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Ooh, man, I get on a rant and a tear today. Let me go back over here to the chat room. Um... Uh, okay, I listen. I listen, but it's more close to the territory. Okay, shall not be infringed isn't ambiguous to us, says Donna. Nope, that pretty much lays it right out there. Um. All right, pretty much all the alphabet. Um. Pretty much all of the alphabet government groups are chock full of shenanigans," said uh, said uh, Greg. "Yeah, I mean you're not you're not wrong, you're not wrong. Uh, I mean the FBI used to be one of the most respected institutions in the world for their honor and commitment and neutrality and everything else, for the most part. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's become a laughing stock in many ways, right there." Uh, they don't call them mass holes for nothing, says Bill. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, this whole thing in Massachusetts, I mean, if if we get a, I'm hoping we get enough time to read into this. I might get stuck on this other stuff. But yeah, this the the again, the gun the gun uh, rights groups are calling it the Lawful Citizens Imprisonment Act because it 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 literally could put anybody behind bars. Uh, and this is in light of Bruin. I just don't know how they think that's, you know, it's like these these organizations are doing it just to spite everyone. And, of course, the person who has to pay for all that is the citizen who's caught in the middle. You know, the legislators don't care. They'll pass the law because they don't they don't have to pay to defend it or fight against it or to prosecute it. The government's got all the money in that case. The state will have all the money in that case. And what you'll do is you'll bankrupt some, you know common citizen to try and fight it all the way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, taking a case to the Supreme Court is not, I mean, John Sturgeon spent $2 million getting his case to the Supreme Court that he eventually won. I don't think, and I don't think that there's any relief on that. I don't think that there's any legal fee relief in most of those cases. Um, So, I mean, you're going to spend, you know, a couple life savings trying to get to it. So that's why they do it. It's punitive. At that point, that's that's why they do it, they, because they're pissed off and they want to have their they want to have their laws and get things their way. And so they do it and say, well, it may be unconstitutional, but you're going to have to take this up in the courts and it's going to cost you gazillions of dollars to defend it. 
It's just, it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. So much for your, so much for your oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution when the Supreme Court said, this is what the Constitution means. And you say, I don't think it means that. So I'm going to do something completely different. So much for your, you know, rule of law, law of the land kind of thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. All right. Yeah, what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Jason Aldean. <laughs> I mean, Jason Aldean. Who thought that? I mean, I'm not a fan of country music. I, I recognize some of the names, but I don't listen to country music. It's just not my thing. Um, but Jason Aldean uh, <laughs> has got this song called Try That in a Small Town. And um, Shannon Watts, you know, the Million Mom March, who I thought was retiring. I thought she was like had decided she was going to pass the torch to somebody else, but apparently not. Uh, because, I mean, how else is she going to get her daily dose of uh, dopamine for being the, you know, being the justice warrior that she is? Um, anyway, we're going to talk about this this uh, song and this story and everything. I mean, I thought this was going to be like a one of thing, but it's just it just keeps going. It just keeps going. Um, she's trying to get him canceled. Uh, he was, uh, he was on this, this whole thing. It's just, they just don't like it, man. They just don't like it. Um, and, uh, so what? I don't care if you don't like it. That's that's what I would say, but I'm not Jason Aldean. Uh, although I don't think he's probably hurting for, uh, I don't think he's probably hurting for, you know, for, for shekels, he's probably doing okay. Um, yeah, they tried that in a small town. Remember Kenosha? Um, yeah, they that that's the. I mean, remember you don't see most of these things happening in small communities because it's just a different feel. It's a different flavor. I mean, it's not even really about guns. It's more about that sense of community. Although it's not nearly as strong as it used to be. You know, it's not really as it's not nearly as strong as that sense of community as it used to be growing up. Uh, not that it was always not that it was ever really Mayberry, but, uh, you know, it did have more of that Mayberry feel in the past. So. All right. Uh, let's continue. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Let's uh, let's do it. Okay, so um, we're ready to talk about this. There's a couple big topics that I, you know, there's a couple things that I, I kind of, I really want to get to. Um, but first and foremost, we need to point out that the ATF is back to their old tricks. Um, 30 years have passed since Waco. 
but it's really still it's really still relevant in people's mind. Waco is still you know, Ruby Ridge. Uh, I mean, all these different things, these raids, these botched raids that have been carried out by the ATF. Now we're seeing more and more um, of these, you know, first we were started hearing about the compliance checks and the other things and all this other stuff. And then we heard about the um, raid in, uh, where was it? The raid in Highwood, uh, in Great Falls, Montana, the Highwood Creek Outfitters, where now the ATF in these raids is now joining up with the IRS. There was a joint I mean, this is part of that $80 million or $80 billion that they gave to the IRS, right? So the IRS has a tactical unit now. And so the ATF and the IRS got a tactical, they have a combined joined, you know, task force tactical team. And they raided this uh, gun store in Great Falls, Montana. Uh, Interestingly enough, the ATF agents were prohibited by law. From seizing the gun shop's 4473 forms, which are the forms you fill out when you buy a gun. So the IRS agents took them. Now, they didn't have any lawful authority to do so, but apparently they're less likely to get in trouble than the ATF is on something like that. So they seized thousands of forms and took them all. Uh, We talked a little bit about this raid um, before, but I mean, this thing is just like, This is an outfit that has never had any real problems. They had a few minor paperwork errors, um, and they were trying to get them corrected. They were trying to, you know, this is like, but there has become a zero-tolerance policy from the Biden administration. And, in fact, the number of FFLs uh, that have been, that have disappeared since Biden took office and has been directing the ATF to uh, have this zero-tolerance policy the number of FFLs are plummeting in this country. Uh, and again, for simple par- paperwork, if you've listened to this program for a long time, you'll remember Red's Trading Post in Twin Falls, Idaho. Red's was a good friend of the show. Uh, Ryan Horsley was a friend of mine, and he was talking about this. And they were under complete and total scrutiny from the IRS, uh, from the uh, ATF because of simple Instead of putting uh, a yes in a box, they put Y. Instead of putting no in a box, they put N. You know, it was like saying instead of writing out Fairbanks North Star Borough as your county of record, somebody would put FNSB. That would that could trigger a paperwork violation from the ATF. I mean, it's that's the kind of stuff. If you didn't dot a T or cross an I, you know what I mean? They could say that you were breaking federal law. Now, this is the same organization that has lost thousands of guns uh, over just the last 10 years. And, of course, was involved in things like the Gunwalker scandal and all this Fast and Furious and all that stuff. But if you make a simple paperwork violation, if you transpose a number, if you, put a, if you, if you abbreviate instead of writing it all out, you would be in serious trouble. So that Highwood Creek one was kind of the first, you know, like, wow. They're like, they, are the ATF raids starting up again? Well, possibly. Probably. Russ, uh, Russell Fitch, uh, Fincher is a high school history teacher, a Baptist pastor, and a part-time gun dealer. 
He coaches Little League in his hometown of Tuscahoma, Oklahoma, and has a pot which uh, which has a population of about 150 people. He's had a federal firearms license for three years. He has no brick-and-mortar gun shop. He's what used to be called a kitchen table FFL. He sells most of his firearms at gun shows. In April, he received a call from the, from the ATF. They said they wanted to do an inspection of his home, and he said, I told them they're welcome anytime. Two inspectors arrived a few days later. They spent three hours at the home. They took pictures of his 4473s, which... He later learned is illegal, although it's a common practice. And uh, he said uh, he said they were nicer than I expected. They said I had some guns that had traces on them, which concerned them, and it concerned me too, meaning gun traces. They were returned uh, two weeks later. They had some concerns involving Fincher's penmanship, which they couldn't read on a couple of forms. Again. Right. The zero tolerance for I couldn't read your handwriting. They also found that he had juxtaposed a model number of a firearm with a weapon serial number. So he accidentally put them in the different boxes. Again, a simple clerical error like the government has never had a clerical error. Uh, He was attempting to fix that. Then on June 16th, Fincher and his son were packing for a gun show in Tulsa when the phone rang. It was the ATF. They said they wanted to talk to him before he left for the gun show. He said, well, you can come to our house. Uh, I told him, he says, can't we can come out to your house? He said, sure. I told him, sure, I'd be home. Seven vehicles roared up to his house, disgorged a dozen ATF agents wearing full battle rattle, all armed with AR-15s. And he said they called him out on his deck handcuffed him in front of his 13-year-old son, held him on the deck for an hour. He was surrounded by agents. One by one, they yelled at him about what he was doing. He said, in my mind, I decided if they were going to beat me up over every little thing, I'm done. As soon as I said, if you want my FFL, you can have it. One of the agents pulled out a piece of paper and said, well, then sign here. He had made three copies in case I screwed one up. It was exactly what they wanted, he said. I was shocked. As soon as he relinquished his FFL, the ATF began loading up his guns, including his Colt Combat Commander, uh, Glocks, a Mint AK. They said they took more than 50 of my personal guns. When I asked them why, they said they were evidence. He estimated they took about $60,000 worth of guns. Then, after the ATF SWAT cleared Fincher's home, they called in the agent in charge for the raid and told him it was safe to come up. This is the guy that had invited them over. He said, Special Agent Theodore Mongol, who was the agent in charge, came up and said, you're done. We've shut, we've shut you down. You tell all your FFL buddies we're coming for them. We're shutting the gun shows down. Fincher said one agent told him that they hate home FFLs. He said, if I wanted to sell a Browning shotgun to someone at a gun show with no paperwork, that's no problem. But when I sell a Glock or an AR lower, that it's a, that's a gangbanger. I asked him, he said, where does it say that in the regs? He said, no gangbanger would be shooting people with a $2,000 Benelli. I mean, several agents accused Fincher of making too much money through his gun show sales. He told them at the last gun show he attended, he only sold $75 worth of ammunition and spent $1,200 on hotels, tables, food, and gas. Fincher was told to load, to, uh, load the firearms the ATF didn't want back in his pickup which he later took to another FFL. Um, he told he asked the special agent in charge about the guns that they had seized. He told me, if you're willing to forfeit them, we can make a lot of this go away. This is a shakedown. 
What are you going to, this is, this is insanity. That you, I just have a warning. I have a warning. You're going to push the wrong person into the corner. And it's not going to end well for anyone, anyone involved. The guy invites you up to his house and you show up in full force like it's a no-knock raid and then badger him until he says, this is not worth it, relinquishes his FFL and then steal his personal guns, which have nothing to do with his FFL. so much outrage over this we gotta go hour two dead ahead the michael duke show common sense radio yeah this is um i mean that is just unbelievable unbelievable Um, can you avoid acronyms? I, I used the names of the IRS. I mean, I'm hoping everybody knows who the IRS is and I'm hoping everybody knows who the ATF is. And I said federal firearms license before I said FFL. If they can't figure it out, Harold, sorry. Um... Makes me want to watch an episode of Reacher. Yeah, I mean, pretty much at this point. I mean, that it's you know, this is what kills me. They call him and say, We want to talk to you before you go to the gun show. Sure, come on up. We're at the house right now. And then they roar up in the thing, all badass and 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 bullying, and then said, We've shut you down. You tell all your FFL buddies that we're, what the? ATF is at it again. ATF at it up to their old tricks, up to their old shenanigans. It's, and you know, basically the whole thing is a shakedown. The whole thing is a shakedown. Um, and, and taking his personal fire. And for those of you who don't know, uh, when you're an FFL, a federal firearms licensee, there are two very separate things and you have to make sure that you keep them very separate. There are the guns that are on your book, your FFL book, which is the log book that you, you log in and log out firearms that you receive and sell and, you know, those kind of things. And then there are your own private firearms, which you, you know, those are, you shouldn't be selling private firearms as an FFL, right? That's like a, they're very separate. But when they come in and take 50 of your personal guns, that's, I mean, that's insane. Just it's nuts. They took his 1906 Winchester. He had a Winchester 1906 22 rifle. And they took that, um, like, wow, there's a whole list of this. I'll post this whole story up here. You guys can read this. Uh, this is from uh, Substack. Um, 
Yeah. Did they shoot the dog? No, they didn't shoot the dog this time. I mean, that's a that's a whole thing later on. But the state is not your friend, says Brian. Yeah, that's pretty much that's you know, pretty much it. Um, let's see, a lot of banter going on here. Um. Never forget, I will never forget Ruby Ridge or when they kill Lavoy Finnicum. Um, small towns are all about Fafo, which is fool around and find out. Not fool, but you know what I mean. Frick around and find out. That's what that's all about. Uh, Jason Aldean, freedom of speech. Remember how Coeur reacted to BLM? I do remember some of that, a little bit of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's some crazy stuff. You know, I thought we really had this, um, will they be giving them back? Doubtful. Doubtful. If so, I mean, they will drag their feet. They'll be punitive about this. I mean, it may take him years to get those firearms back, if he ever does. Remember, the last thing they said is if you just release those, if you just surrender those, we could go a long way to clearing, to, you know, I mean, they haven't even charged him with anything. But now they're saying, we, you know, it's all bullying tactics. Makes me wonder about the caliber of people that are being recruited and hired by the ATF. Uh, Terry Hayes said that I had three separate safes when I had my FFL, one for business and two for personal arms just for that reason. Exactly. You could not mix and mingle. You do. That's like new, new, new. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's it's a spooky time. I'll be honest with you. That's why I never. I, I explored getting an FFL for a couple of years. I thought about it. And I had to think long and hard about it. And I talked to friends who had FFLs, other dealers, and things like that. Because, I mean, I've been a part of the firearms world since I was a kid. And I finally decided, no. I just didn't want to open myself up to any potential, especially since I was, for a few years there, I was consistently spending every Firearms Friday banging on the ATF like hard. So much so that I was later told by somebody who worked in law enforcement that apparently the local ATF guys would listen to the show every Friday uh, and take notes like they were they were like they were going to come, you know, talk to me and ask me some questions kind of thing, you know. Um, so I decided that, no, I'm never I'm not going to have an FFL uh, because I just no. too many opportunities, like you said, for a simple paperwork. We didn't understand your handwriting. And so, therefore, you're now a problem. <laughs> Definitely a oof. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, get things going on here. Hour two is dead ahead. Uh, Willie Waffles coming up at the end of the show. And I still want to talk about Jason Aldean. Oh, and these law professors, these guys. Ooh, my head's going to explode. All right, we're going to talk about that. Harold, shut up. Can we get a guest? Sure, call in. We'll talk to you. That'll be fun. (laughs) 
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns. One for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. It's my rifle, it's my gun, it's provided, it's provided. Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature right here on The Michael Duke Show. Welcome to it, hour two of the big radio broadcast, and we are ooh, ready. Look at that blue sky. Look at that sunshine. What is that thing? Is that a UFO? Oh, it's the sun. Never mind. Uh, hey, uh, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day, and I hope you are ready for it. I hope you're enjoying it uh, for this uh, for this this go around the sun here uh, on today's uh, today's deal. Firearms Friday, of course, is our chance to sound off on issues of a to a nature, and we have got lots of good stuff to talk about. Lots and lots of good stuff to talk about uh, related to firearms and the Second Amendment. Uh, then we're going to finish up the show this morning with our friend Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com, who's going to come in here and share with us his weekend entertainment review. It'll be fun. And... I guess that's it. I guess that's it. That's all I have today. Oh, the phone lines are open. 907-433-3150. We'll do gun Q&A, too, if you guys want to talk about that as well. We just finished up talking about the ATF apparently starting to ramp up their raid machine again, where they're kicking in doors and knocking people over and shooting dogs and doing all the things that they normally do that they kind of slowed down on in the last few years. Apparently, mm, the, the the muzzle's off again, and they are out and about on this thing. Uh, I'm going to let that one go for now, but there was a, it was if you missed the first hour today, you may want to go back and listen on the podcast or on the replay on Facebook because, oof, baby, oof. Uh, interesting article. Um, Lee Williams over at uh, Substack, the gun writer at Substack, has got the story uh, about the use of excessive force and, and just the Gestapo-like tactics. The Gestapo. I mean, I don't necessarily. I don't normally compare. <laughs> I, I don't usually do the whole. What is that? It's called the uh, where you end up comparing everything to Nazis, and I can't remember what the this. It's actually the Williamson's Law or something, where every argument devolves into comparisons to Nazis. But in this case. Yes, I will compare it to Gestapo tactics of this Blitzkrieg lightning raid, even after they called and said, we want to talk to you. And he's like, come on up to the house. I'm here right now. And they show up and, you know, want to kick his door down, put him in handcuffs in front of his son, you know, with all battle rattle. Anyway, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. 
I'm I'm done talking about it. It's a whole thing. Um, what else we got? Well, Jason Aldean. Uh, again, I'm not a <clears throat> I'm not a country music fan. Uh, I mean, country music's fine. Don't get me wrong. I just don't listen to it. It's not like it's my thing. Uh, but apparently he made headlines earlier this week when he wrote a song, which, by the way, has been out since May. The song's been out since May. But apparently it caught some people's attention. Uh, the name of the song is Try That in a Small Town. And Shannon Watts from Moms Deserve a Million Mom, the every town, the, 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 the anti-gun queen. You know who I'm talking about. She is out there actively trying to get Aldine canceled. This song was recently pulled off of CMT, which I think is, is that country music television? Is that like VH1 or is MTV? Anyway, it was pulled out of rotation on CMT. And Shannon Watts is claiming credit for the move and is now trying to get the can- the uh, singer canceled from a fundraiser benefiting Covenant School in Nashville. And uh, this thing, this whole thing is just, it's gone crazy. Um, this was what I thought most of us thought would probably be a one or two day little blip on the news cycle. And it just keeps going. Um, Aldine has been accused of fostering racism and violence with his lyrics, even as a singer himself has pushed back. He said, in the past 24 hours, I've been accused of releasing a pro-lynching song and was the subject of the comparison that I was not too pleased with with the nationwide BLM movements. These references are not only meritless, but dangerous. There's not a single lyric in the song that references race or points to it. There isn't a single video clip that isn't real news footage. And while I can try and respect others to have their own interpretation of a song or music, this goes too far. Now, some were offended by the lyrics, especially since Aldine was on stage during the Las Vegas shooting. He was actually on stage when the shooting started. Um, Try that in a small town. Um... Uh, for me, this is what he says, refers to the feeling of community that I had growing up where we took care of our neighbors, regardless of differences or backgrounds or belief, because they were neighbors. And that was above any difference. My political view has never been something I've hidden for from. And I know that for a lot of us in this country, we don't agree on how we get back to a sense of normalcy where we go at least a day without a headline that keeps us up at night. But the desire for it, that's that's what this song is about. Shannon Watts uh, just will not let it go and keeps going on and on about it, um, especially what she um, <laughs> here's what she says in a tweet. Jason Aldean, who was on stage during the mass shooting in Las Vegas in 2017 that killed 60 people, has recorded a song called Try That in a Small Town about he, how he and his friends will shoot you if you try and take their guns. I don't see how the two are related, quite honestly. I mean, I I don't see how just because he was on stage during the events of the shooting, I don't see how. Anyway, here's the lyrics. Try that in a small town. Got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that stuff might not fly in the city. Excuse me, that stuff might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Over here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't try that in a small town. Full of good old boys raised up right. If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. I mean, that's just one section of this whole thing. Um, And she was all about Jason Aldean because right after the shooting in Las Vegas, he um, 
he he said it was too easy to get guns in the U.S. That was one of his comments. So she never had a problem with him up until the point he wrote this song about try taking away our guns in a small town. And now she's all full. I mean, she's all cat fighty about it. Anyway, the one thing that they do, of course, is the anti-gun advocates get all wound up about all the small town songs, you know, and about the things that are happening in the small town. And they completely ignore what's going on in the big city. For example, <laughs> in gun control friendly regimes like D.C., they get violent crime and they just don't even know how to deal with it, including with juveniles like this kid. In early June, D.C. prosecutors dismissed charges against a notable offender, an 11 year old who police alleged was responsible for an assault and two robberies the previous month. The youth agreed to stay out of Northwest D.C. and wear an ankle monitor if the probation officer determined it was necessary to resolve the charges. He didn't stay out of the court system for too long, though. On Wednesday, he appeared virtually in court again in connection with another robbery. In less than two months, an 11-year-old has been arrested for three robberies and an assault. I mean, they dismissed the first three charges outright and now appear to offer ready to offer a plea deal to this kid. In June 16th, on June 16th, 11 days after the prior uh, charges were dismissed, he was arrested on charges of armed robbery and carrying a pistol without a license. According to a police report, he and two others tried to steal a delivery driver's moped that was parked outside a Chick-fil-A, then threatened to shoot the driver when he objected. Threatened to sh- with a gun, threatened to shoot him. A D.C. prosecutor said on Wednesday's hearing that the office was working on a possible plea offer with the youth related to new charges, which include robbing while armed, threats to injure a person, and carrying a pistol. Threats to threats to injure. A, you were threatening him with a gun. Oh God! It just it just never ends. This I mean. They won't pay attention to that. What was the other headline uh, for last weekend in Chicago? 40 people shot, four four deaths, 40 people shot in Chicago. The anti-gun capital of of the nation. But don't worry, they're worried about Jason Aldean's song. That is, we got to get that thing canceled right now. Right freaking now. And finally. This story is going to carry us into the next segment, I can tell you already. This story makes my head explode. We've talked on this program a little bit about the concept of qualified immunity. We've discussed this with guests from Reason Magazine and other. They have a huge selection of examples of the problem with qualified immunity in this country. Qualified immunity is not any, it's not an old, this is something that was new. This is something that was created by the courts whole cloth in 1967. Qualified immunity basically gives government officials a free pass. It's a shield that it's a shield that uh, it prevents them from basically um, it makes it very difficult to hold public officials accountable, especially police officers, police officers, prison officials, those kind of things. They have had some of the most egregious 
violations of this law. I mean, I'm talking about things like they uh, they they literally had a prisoner die, the family uh, in custody. Um, and it turns out that this guy had been living in a cell in his own fecal matter for weeks. And they tried to hold the jailers, uh, the, the prison officials accountable, and they got qualified immunity. Even though they were respond, I mean, oh, there's so many examples of this. People stealing money from lockup that should have known better. Oh, they got qualified immunity because nothing, there's a, there's a portion of qualified immunity showing that it has to be, well, how did they put it? Qualified immunity offers, um, um, because it has to have happened before it has to have, it has to have had precedent for them to know that it's illegal. That's part of qualified immunity. That's the hinge that this whole thing has rested on for so long. So qualified immunity. So it's, it's a bad precedent. It's a bad thing. It should have been fixed. It's, you know, we've been talking about it, um, for the last, especially the last five or six years, it's really gotten some real headlines because more and more officers are behaving badly about it. And now you've got a brand new forthcoming paper in the Notre Dame law review reflection with professor Gua Krishnamurthy from the University of Oklahoma, and Professor Peter Salib from the University of Houston. And they have a solution for gun control. And, oh, baby, is my head uh, blood shooting right out of my eyes. We're going to tell you about it here on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I mean, I'm still stuck on this whole 11-year-old. Who was out? I mean, they dismissed the charges, and seven days later, he's back in Northwest DC where he said he wouldn't be threatening a moped driver with a firearm. An 11 year. What the fuck? I mean, what? What? The what? What the what? Ah. Uh. I mean, and now they're talking a plea deal. I mean, this kid had all the charges dismissed, said he wasn't going to do it, blah, 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 comes back. He's got a gun, threatens a guy with a gun, and now it's not just attempted murder or threat. I don't mean, I don't know what the official, what would it be if I threatened somebody with a gun? I mean, you know, to to shoot them if they didn't give me their stuff. I, I just... Would you think I'd get a plea deal on that? You think I you think that they would give me a plea deal on that? Somehow I don't think so. This 11-year-old repeat offender though. Oh baby. Yeah. Rick says he thinks it was the video in Godwin's law. Thank you. 
was Godwin's Law, where everything devolves into comparisons to Nazis. Um, I think it was the video more than the song, said Rick. I haven't seen the video. The video apparently is just news footage, right? That was what was intimated from the article there, was that it's just news footage of what's happening in the big towns. Yeah. Um... Amazing. Amazing. Um, what? New York pays 13 million to protesters arrested during the George, the George Floyd protest. Riot, burn, loot, attack the police and get paid by Democrats to do it all over again with no consequences. Well. Wow. Um, okay. Um, David Allen Coe, video shows what's happening in the big cities, and, um, 11 years old. Yeah, I mean, 11 years old. This kid is, (laughs) the more, the more I read it, the more I read about it, the more my, where is it here? Let me go back up to it. Um, um. The big city crime. Here it is. Um, <laughs> this story, you just start reading it. According to the Washington Post, during Wednesday's hearing, the child probation officers uh, informed the judge that the 11 year old's mother says her son is abusing drugs and has been struggling to place him in school because of behavioral issues. Instead of arguing to keep him in custody or placing him in care of the state, the probation officer instead requested that the preteen undergo drug testing while the judge warned if the situation doesn't improve at some point in the future, he'll have to place the 11-year-old in a shelter. What? I mean, this kid is, he, juvie, he threatened to shoot somebody with a gun 11 days after prior charges were dismissed. Are you out of your freaking mind? I mean, is what? How many felony charges does this kid need to face before the state concludes that uh, the streets is not a good place for this kid? 11 years old. What the actual? I mean, oh, so, so crazy. It's so crazy. Oh, man. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump back into it. Here we go. Uh, we're about thirty seconds out right now. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Do all the stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to watch the video. Uh, I'm gonna have to watch the video for that. I, I haven't seen it. We'll we'll see what it goes. All right, here we go. Jumping back in. Let's do it. Uh, right now. Well, almost right now. Actually, right now. What the hell is an assault weapon? You know, if we could just figure out how to get all of the murder guns and the attack guns and not keep selling those to people and just sell protection guns, I think that would be great and solve a lot of problems. Does this mean that if we hurt your feelings, you'd consider the Michael Duke Show Assault Radio? (laughs) 
okay, we can live with that. Here's Michael Dukes. Yep, assault radio. That's what we do. They hurt your feelings. Did I hurt your feelings? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Um, all right, well, let's get back into this. We were talking about qualified immunity. This forthcoming paper from the Notre Dame Law Review, these two professors, one from Oklahoma, one from Houston, they are actually calling for the abuse of qualified immunity to confiscate guns. Here's an excerpt. The Supreme Court's ruling in Bruin threw the political project of gun regulation into question. It is a political project. Isn't that interesting? The political project of gun regulation into question. Before Bruin, state could enact new kinds of restrictions if they passed a relatively stringent means and test. That is, if laws meaningfully reduced danger while not too heavily burdening the right to self-defense they were allowed. After Bruin, only gun controls actually enforced in the founding era and their close analogs are permissible. Many fewer regulations will now pass the constitutional test. Here, we suggest an unlikely source of continuing power after Bruin. For states to disarm individuals they deem dangerous, qualified immunity. Qualified immunity shields state officers from monetary liability for many constitutional violations. Thus, a state law enforcement officer may, after Bruin, confiscate an individual's firearm if the officer deems that person too dangerous to possess it. The officer's justifications may conflict with the federal court's understanding of Bruin or the Second Amendment, perhaps flagrantly, but unless a previous authoritative legal decision examining near-identical facts say so, the officer risks no liability. And because each individual act of disarmament will be unique, such prior decisions will be vanishingly rare. The result is a surprisingly free hand for states to determine who should and, not, and should not be armed, even in contravention of the Supreme Court's dictates. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, this is... They are okay, and here's the problem with qualified immunity. And they point out the they point out that the challenge here, the this the qualified immunity holds unless a previous authoritative legal decision examining near identical facts say so. And and when they say near identical, some of these courts have interpreted it as, you know, you did something on a Tuesday that only somebody has done on a Wednesday before that's been said is unlawful is unlawful but because you did it on a Tuesday it's a whole new case it's not it's near identical but it's unique and it's different so you get qualified immunity now i'm exaggerating slightly but literally when you have law enforcement officers or prison officials in this case where they're letting the guy stew in his own feces um do you really need a previous precedent set saying, you know, you shouldn't let him sit in his own feces, right? Till he dies. I mean, stew in his own poo until, I mean, that, but this is the problem with qualified immunity. And now you've got these two jackholes who are saying, well, you know what, you can break and basically saying you're going to break the law. And in fact, it says right there, the justifications may conflict with the federal court's understanding of Bruin or the Second Amendment, perhaps flagrantly, that you can literally bypass the constitutional powers by this idea of qualified immunity. 
Okay. Um, are, are you guys, you guys want to get in a fight? Is that what this is about? I mean, you're up on the ivory tower on the hill expressly saying, oh, and I, I mean, I would love to see this paper come out. And then some states start to kind of increase their gun takings and then say, come and, you know, qualify immunity. And then somebody come up and say, look, they knew going in this paper. They're following the playbook from this paper. I would love to see what the courts have to say about that, where they are flaunting the court's decision and the Constitution and then saying, well, we have qualified immunity, so you can't do anything to us. I mean. They go on to say, proponents of gun rights who skew conservative may see this as lawlessness. What, you mean arbitrarily ignoring the law and saying you can't do anything about it because we have qualified immunity? I would think that that is the very definition of lawlessness. I mean, if you looked up lawlessness in the dictionary, this would be a prime example of it, don't you think? Proponents of gun rights who skew conservative may see this as lawlessness. In the past, it has been liberals and civil libertarians who have seen qualified immunity that way. Here, as elsewhere in law, what's good sauce for the goose is good for the gander. Gun rights advocates may therefore either accept qualified immunity's implications for their preferred rights or join with their, un- with their usual adversaries in opposing it everywhere. I don't know one person who is familiar with the concept of qualified immunity that's like, oh, yeah, that thing's perfect. We need to keep that. I mean, I don't know anybody that is – I mean, we've talked about the shooting of, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and Kelly Thomas and uh, the guy in Chicago that was, you know, reaching for his concealed carry license to show the officer and all the – you know, the wrong door raids and everything. I don't know anybody. I mean, Scalia and Clarence Thomas have both openly questioned qualified immunity. These guys are nuttier than squirrel poo. And the worst part is, is that they're dangerous. They are encouraging states to have their lawful legal representatives, the police, the state police law enforcement officers, go out and intentionally break the law and to go against court precedent, to break the constitution, to ignore constitutional rights, and then rest on the fact that they can't be prosecuted. What? That is, that's madness. That is absolute insanity that this is what you're encouraging. I mean, the University of Oklahoma College of Law and the University of Houston Law Center, that's where these professors are from. Uh, What? I mean, if they're attorneys, I would question whether or not there's some disbarment issue there that could be brought about, that you were encouraging people 
to you have sworn an oath as an officer of the law to defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States. Now, I know many officers would probably just, you know, give these two guys the fingers, but there are plenty of officers out there who are in it for the kicks, baby. The authoritarian kicks. They love it. They want to do it. They think, you know, don't question me. Don't talk to me that way. Why? Why are you resisting? You know what I mean? There's plenty of guys out there who would do it. They're good. They're telling these guys to violate their oath of office for what is a political project of gun regulation. They say that right in the beginning. The Bruin through the political Bruin threw the political project of gun regulation into question. This is dangerous. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not calling for anything or anything else, but I can see the handwriting on the wall. You will, somebody earlier said, you know, FAFO, you do this, yeah. You're going you're gonna, to, something's going to happen with the wrong person. And you're going to create a firestorm like you've never believed. Besides the fact that you are, again, encouraging these people to violate their oath of office and then stand behind this qualified immunity shield. So on the one hand, you are violating somebody's constitutional and civil rights. And on the other hand, you're standing behind the shield that the law gives you. And again, at that point, aren't you, isn't that just a, isn't it just two-sided? Isn't it just two-sided at that point? You're trying to play both sides? I mean, I read this thing, and I, my, my brain locked up, folks. How did we get to this point in America where we have two supposed intellectuals, professors at universe? How do they, how do they think this is a good idea? I just don't know what to say. I just, I have, I have no words for that. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I was was trying not to swear because I I, I can't even I, I can't even wrap my brain around the fact that these guys again are two professors at law centers and this is what and you guys are talking about pancakes why am I even in here why am I even in here? You guys are talking about baseball and pancakes. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll just shut the chat off and just keep talking because this is. <sighs> just important stuff, right? That's just, that's just important stuff. Yep. That's what I'm going to do.
All right. I went, I went and refilled my water bottle. You guys talk amongst yourself about waffles. Jesus. I mean, I... I'm so pissed off right now. It just doesn't even matter. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a you. I'm just this whole story. I mean, the more I read the story, the more I think about it. These guys are, you know, professor emeritus at the law schools and they're doing all this stuff. And is, will this even make the news? The mainstream news? Forget about it. And this is where you're sending your kids. These kind of places. University of Oklahoma College of Law. And the University of Houston Law Center and these guys are telling you to violate the Constitution and stand back and be shielded because you're public servants. You're, I'm just going to be honest with you. You're gonna you're gonna mess around with the wrong person. You're gonna pick, you're gonna pick on the wrong guy, who has had a bad day, who is a combat vet who's been struggling with PTSD. Or maybe suicidal ideation or something, you know, every 22 seconds a, a veteran kills themselves, right? And you're going you're gonna to push the wrong buttons on the wrong guy, and you're going to kick off something that you don't you, – FAFO. FAFO. That's what's going to happen. That's what's coming on. Phone is the phone was on, but we got Willie coming up. So phone is off now because we got Willie coming up. I gotta turn the phone. Nobody called this morning. Not not Good even guy. not even Fred. Not even Fred called this morning. But that's okay. I mean, we had a lot of good stories. That I'm 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 flabbergasted, folks. I mean, am, am I out of line? Are any of you, I mean, I, except for those of you who are talking about breakfast foods and baseball, are any of you as flabbergasted and just stymied as I am about this? Again, these guys are, they're, they're calling on people to literally not just break the law. Because we've seen that before where they just call on, you know, just oh, just ignore that kind of. But we're talking about a constitutional right and a Supreme Court decision that fundamentally changes the way that they're supposed to interpret those things. And these guys are just calling for it to be, you know. i got to get ready for Willie. Yeah, my head explodes. Just, just, and the more I think about it, the more flustered I get because it's just so, um, uh, so crazy. Busy signal, said Greg. Well, I just shut the phones off, Greg. So sorry. I shut the phones off. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Willie's going to be joining us here in just a second. Defund university, says Donna. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a good, and Greg, and Greg says, what if a professor's had the wheel turned to arresting lawyers for stupidity? Would they change their ideas? How about we just disbar, how about we just disbar them? Right. I mean, there's some professional, there's some professional ethical questions in this. 
And if you're an attorney, you are supposed to, you've taken an oath to, you know, for ethical behavior. If you're advocating for people to do this kind of, all right, phone's ringing, buzzing. It's time for Willie. We got to jump back into it. The, I, hi, it's the weekend. Now I could talk about movies. I'm happy. Here we go. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty-based. All right, uh, the weekend, uh, so close I can taste it. Uh, but it wouldn't be the weekend without uh, our weekend movie and entertainment critic, and of course that is Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com. Good morning, my friend. How is you? How you doing? Oh, the weekend is on the tip of our tongues, and it tastes so sweet. So good. So good. All <laughs> right. Well, we got a lot of news, but it is kind of bad news for those of us that love movies or television shows or streaming because, uh, oof, man, they are making some changes. They're tuning things up. They're changing the streaming services, the network schedules. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Give me the rundown. There is complete mayhem in Hollywood right now, okay, because of the strike, all the different studios, all the television networks are trying to figure out how are we going to, like, survive this? How are we going to keep making money while the writers and the actors are not making money right. in an attempt to, uh, you know, better our bargaining position? Right. Well, so here's what's going on. A lot of stuff is just getting delayed. And and I'll be honest with you, a lot of these things are getting delayed, A, because you just can't produce new TV shows right now. And B, a lot of the movie studios are going, hey, if the actors aren't going to promote our movies, well, we just can't sink all this extra marketing money into more commercials. It just, it's just, you know, we're maxed out there. Right. Like, you know, we need these actors to go out there and do these interviews and show up on these TV shows. So Warner brothers this week is, is kicking around the idea that um, their stuff might just be outright pushed out of 2023. And this is funny because I just saw Barbie last night and they did a big trailer for a color purple. This is going to be kind of the musical version of a color purple based on, on the, uh, the stage play. And now there's consideration Warner brothers, which was going to release that at Christmas time may push it to 2024. Guess what else was coming out at Christmas time that might get pushed to 2024 Aquaman two. <laughs> now that's, Partly because they're pushing it for all these reasons, and there was rumors that they're still doing reshoots and stuff. I, so yeah. if they can't do reshoots, they can't finish the movie. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just saw today uh, that they just got greenlit by James Gunn for a third round of reshoots. They did the first cut, yeah, and it didn't do well at the testing, so they brought the two brain children in or whatever. So they did a second round. It did worse than the first one. <laughs> And so now James Gunn is given the go-ahead for a third one. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Amber Heard is still in it, and I'm still trying to figure that out. But I think that's going to be a hard sell, baby. Oh, man, it's going to be such a hard sell. And the DC Universe is just such a hot mess. But, yeah, I mean, how are they going to shoot these retakes if they can't do anything? It's going to be impossible. Yeah. Yeah, so now also Dune 2, they're thinking about pushing that into 2024 oh. because they want that all-star cast out there promoting the movie. Now you, you now you also look at TV. So on TV, 
NBC and CBS outright just announced we're trashing our fall schedules. So NBC basically said, yeah, you're just going to get some reruns of all those Chicago shows that you love, but like, not like all Wednesday night, like they're going to take the eight o'clock hour and like show one of them one week and like one another week and one another week. And then they're going to put in some other programs in place of it. So like, you know, this is really wild. Like, you know, like uh, they have Magnum PI, which was originally supposed to premiere in the, in, in the, in the winter of 2024. Well, that's already done. So they're going to use that in the fall quantum leap. Same deal. We're going to use that in the fall. So now that's your Wednesday night schedule. We've got, you know, one of the Chicago shows and then Magnum PI and quantum leap on law and order night, Thursday nights, they're going to bring in some Canadian medical drama called transplant. They're going to put that in here. Night court. We'll see you in 2024, uh, you know, extended family. We'll see you in 2024. And you know what we've got? We've got the voice, and they're going to exploit the voice. You're going to be so sick of seeing the voice when this is all over because it's going to be on like almost every night, okay? And it's going to—they're going to have like a two-hour-long version of it. It's going crazy on CBS. They made the announcement that made my heart flutter because I knew this was going to happen. I told you CBS is going to roll out all their Paramount stuff. Well, Sunday nights on CBS, you will have a chance to watch. Yellowstone. No kidding. Holy cow. Yep. Well, they're gonna have they're to... gonna roll out from season one, baby. <laughs> they're gonna have to edit the hell out of that. All right. Well, <clears throat> <laughs> and they're gonna bring some other Paramount Plus stuff. Like, you know, if you remember SEAL Team that used to be on CBS, they oh, pushed yeah. Paramount Plus. Well, it's coming back to CBS. And Ghost, my favorite show. I know you love the show. Yeah. They're gonna just push that off until 2024. But in the fall, they're gonna air Ghosts. The British version that it's oh, based on. Oh, no kidding. Well, yeah, you know, this it, is going to be great. It's so staggering. <laughs> and here's what kills me is these actors have got to know that this is going to kill. I mean, and I know it's a it's a it's a calculated gamble, but they know that this is going to kill the studios. And you mentioned to me Tom Cruise is in there actually yeah. trying to save this by lobbying the theaters, the studios and the Actors Guild Union to work together a little bit. He's trying to allow them to like promote move. Cause that's a big deal, right? Promoting your own movie is a big deal. And he's trying to get the actors union to agree to at least allow them to do that for stuff. That's already in the can. Yeah. You know, Tom Cruise has kind of been like a peacemaker in, in a way, um, you know, he, he met with the negotiating teams on both sides and, and he said, listen, you know, you know, movie theaters are still hurting. <laughs> like you know, we we need to like do something to, to help them. And and he tried to convince SAG after union to allow actors to promote their movies so that you know these movies would still do well. It would help the movie theaters. Yes, it would help the studios, but it would also help the actors themselves because you know when you have a hit movie, your price goes up, your contract for the next movie goes up. In return, he lobbied the movie producers, the movie, the movie and television producers group to say, listen. You got to treat the stunt people better. Like, you know, we, we have some we have some proposals to make sure they get paid better. So he's trying to right. kind of be in the middle and bring it all together. But it's just a little too early. And there's just a lot of people that just want a little bit of a fight still. Yeah. Now, what productions are going to continue during the action strike? Because some of them have been got waivers, right? They're exempt or whatever. Yeah. So give us the rundown. So this is wild. So there's the 39 waivers that have been given to independent films that really aren't working with anybody who's associated with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So 
Anne Hathaway's still working as she's making the A24 movie Mother Mary. Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega are still are still working. They're doing Death of a Unicorn. And this is my favorite. Marky Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson are still working because Mel Gibson <laughs> is making an independent film called Flight Risk. And uh, well, Marky Mark is in it. And this is kind of cool. There is a TV production of 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 uh, the life of Jesus Christ called The Chosen, which is going to be still producing because you know it's it's really kind of you know not affiliated with anybody. Then this is the one that got me, House of the Dragon, the the uh, that that is still allowed to produce. They're still allowed to keep making it because they have a contract with the UK version of this of the uh, of the union and they're not striking. Yeah, they're not legally allowed to strike, right? With saying yeah. right. So that's government. Yeah, there's some weird thing about being a monopoly so both of them can't re- like strike at the same time in Britain. It, it's a very convoluted thing. Well, it's going to be yeah. there's going to be a little bit of a desert for new entertainment. I guess we'll be watching whatever releases and I guess we'll be watching a lot of reruns for the next who knows how long this could go as long as a year, right? I mean, this could go a while. This could go a while. I mean, you know, early on when, when people were talking about going on strike, how long could it be? And there were some people who were saying that the strike could last until January. Like you, you could see Hollywood just shut down and not producing things all throughout the fall. Now, if that happens, even more movies are not going to get released. All those Oscar well, bait movies are not going to get released. Your TV shows aren't going to go into production. And and they're even talking now, you know, on, on the television side, you know, why don't we just do like, uh, you know, a part season rather than trying to make 24 total episodes and airing them through the summer? Well, and the, nobody really talks about who this really hurts. This does not hurt the Tom Cruises. This does not hurt the, right. uh, you know, the the you know, the Rob Lowe's or the or the, you know, it doesn't hurt all the big names. It doesn't hurt any. It's all the character actors. It's the you know the grips behind the scene and the and the stage workers yeah. and all. Those are the people. The craft services, the craft people, services the makeup people, people yeah. the, yeah. the you know the art people, the wardrobe people. They're going to be hurting, and, yeah. and that that is going to be the sad part. No and income that's for be six. The big yeah. fallout. No income for six yeah. months. I mean, good luck. I mean, you know, um, and quite honestly, I have a you know, SAG should create a fund for those people that they could get. You know, I don't know. It's just it's so yeah. It's so frustrating, and I understand the actors wanting to protect themselves from AI and animation and and uh, you know deep fake stuff and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you got to be like, okay, let's be re- reasonable about this. I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right, but there are still some movies coming out. Let's talk. Uh, let's start with uh, Jamie Foxx, John Boyega, uh, Tyona Paris, a new neighborhood conspiracy. It's a Netflix movie, The Cloned Tyrone. This is one of my favorite titles to say. They cloned Tyrone. And it's supposed to be kind of a parody of a 60s or 70s black exploitation film. So Jamie Foxx and John Boyega and Tayana Paris are these people. They're living in this, you know, just kind of this rundown town where there's just no hope. Uh, Jamie Foxx is, um, as they say, an entrepreneur who has lots of lady employees. Uh, (laughs) Tayana Paris is one of those employees. And John Boyega is just just a drug dealer and a hustler. And and, uh, they start to realize one night that John Boyega died. Like he gets killed off and then he shows up the next day and they realize there's something afoot in their neighborhood, in their city. 
and it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> you know, it basically, basically, you know, I, I don't want to give it away, but, you know, th- there are secret nefarious forces behind the scenes that are controlling this town and conducting experiments. Oh, and, you know, I think it's entertaining. I think, you know, Jamie Foxx and, and this Tayana Parrish are Paris are hilarious because they get all the best lines. They get all the, all the funny things to happen. Boyega, he's doing all right. He's along for the ride. I'm going to say three waffles. I think you got a good solid film here. All right. All right. Good. Well, let's move on to one that I think everybody seems to be talking about. And that is Oppenheimer, (laughs) the story of how the bomb was made and Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer's criticism of the work. Yeah. So, Hey, you got three hours. (laughs) That's how long this movie is. Yeah, ready. Yes. And, and you know, and listen, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, you know, it, right. directed by him, written by him. I mean, you know, the, the guy is, is one of the best working directors right now. And and so you get this amazing story. It's it's very, it, you know, it, it weaves together so many different pieces. I mean, it really kind of starts off with this framing device that that Oppenheimer in 1954 is 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 stuck in a hearing. Because the the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission wants to silence him. At, at, at this point in his life, he's become very anti-war, very anti-atomic weapon, and and he's making these public proclamations, and they're accusing him of being a communist. And so, with that framing device, we go back in time. We see him as a student. We see him as this brilliant mind, this guy who realizes that they they need to beat the Nazis to to the to the table here because you know. We have to save Western civilization, but also starts to have these worries about what have we done? What have we unleashed upon the world? And so all of that weave together is so wonderful to watch his personal tragedies, his personal flaws. It, it, Killian Murphy should be getting an Oscar nomination oh, for yeah. playing Oppenheimer in this movie. He's amazing. You know, it, it, it's just the only thing I think is wrong with the movie is it just kind of loses some steam towards the end. That last hour kind of lags. You know, we, we get more into the moralizing about it all and right. and in his life kind of after the hearing. And and I think it slowed down what was really a rocket ship. I'm going to say three and a half waffles for Oppenheimer. Killian Murphy is one of my favorite actors. He, um, the, yeah. the, the whole Peaky Blinders thing and everything else, that showed you some range. That guy has got... He's got chops. He is super good. So, yeah. Um, All right. Well, Barbie, the movie, we got about a minute and a half or so here. Barbie in theaters. I mean, this thing is like a marketing machine. And I just, you know, I I don't I'm never going to watch it, you know, kind of thing. But, man, it's gotten it's gotten some legs, man. Everybody wants a piece of this. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to make a ton of money over the weekend. I think people are going to be surprised how successful it is because this was the payback movie i'm not kidding when i went to see this movie last night i walked in and there were all sorts of guys there with their girlfriends and with their wives and you could tell they were there because you know <laughs> they owed one to their girlfriends <laughs> right, and their right. wives yeah and and you listen it, it's trying to be kind of like this really weird kind of kooky movie where barbie played by margot robbie we find out that you know all the barbies live in barbie land but they're connected to the to the little girls who play with them out in the real world and and the little girl that owns her barbie she's starting to feel sad she's putting thoughts into our barbie's heads about existential crisis and what's it like to die and sad feelings and barbie can't handle this and so she's heading off to the real world to try to save that little girl and ken's tagging along because man he's got it bad for barbie (laughs) but here's the funny part ken kind of likes the real world 
Ken kind of likes the male-dominated world. <laughs> Ken kind of likes it. All right, negative one to three waffles. Where are we at with Barbie? The movie. I'm at two and a half waffles. I think it was funny. I think it has moments, but it really, again, another movie that really drags towards the end is they're trying to figure out how are we going to end this thing? Right. It's a tough deal, but uh, I guess somebody will watch it. It won't be me. I don't think my wife's going to watch We'll wait for streaming, I guess. All right, Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Next week, talk about the Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion from Disney. All right, folks, that's it. We're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We'll see you on Monday. Well, we almost ran way over the end on that one. Um, <clears throat> Sorry. No, it's timing, babe. I mean, come on, Barbie. It's just like, I, 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 oh, man, I don't you know. know it, I'll tell you what gets me, okay? So, like, it's a very funny movie, but I, I feel like it's kind of beaten up on one side a little too much. You know, like, you know, I understand they, they want to make this this movie that's all about Barbie, Barbie's impact on 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 women, you know, kind of this this cross feeling that on the one hand, Barbie can be an inspiration as we've seen Barbie you know, become president. We've seen Barbie as an astronaut. We've seen Barbie as a professional and that can be inspirational. But then. You know, all these all these young girls who aspire to look like Barbie. Well, Barbie doesn't look real, you know, and so that I can see. And they play a lot, a lot with that. They play a lot with the men in this movie. And, you know, what is their role in this Barbie world? And are they happy? And right. what do they really want? Right, right. You know, so I think, you know, it gets it gets kind of into that territory where it's not really a toy movie. It's more for adults. It's more for, you know, people who are going to get those inside jokes. who are going to understand that debate that's going on. And then, you know, Will Ferrell shows up and does a lot of goofy stuff. So, hey. Well, uh, you know, I guess, like I said, I, if we watch it, I'm sure we'll wait for the stream. I mean, again, I'm waiting for the stream for almost everything. It's crazy. Um, you know. Well, and it comes to you faster than ever. Yeah. I mean, you know, really, you know, that, that whole, like, you know, what used to be a one-year window shrunk to six months, shrank to three months. Now it's like six weeks. Yeah. So, like, you know, you know if, if, if you want to pay for the stream, Six weeks is all you have to wait, yeah. and then you can you can rent it video on demand. If yeah. you want to wait till it hits one of the streaming services, yeah, you're a little bit closer to to maybe five or six months, depending on how well the movie did. Yeah, no, and I I expect that quite honestly. But I, you know, it's 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 good. Um, I will say a little nudge. I've been kind of following this just out of pure curiosity. Uh, I've been watching The Sound of Freedom, which we talked about last week. Yeah, I've been watching the box office returns, and yep, last weekend. It the only thing that beat it was the opening weekend of Mission Impossible, uh, but it beat so Sound of Freedom was number two at twenty seven point two million, up thirty nine percent from the previous week. They added three hundred and thirteen theaters. It was so popular. Um, it beat out number three, which was the Red Door. Red Door only did thirteen million. It did well over twice what Indiana Jones did um in the same basically the same time frame i mean it's it's just crazy this movie is really catching fire well and and i'm gonna blow your mind here because yesterday there was an announcement that sound of freedom has crossed the 100 million dollar mark yeah yeah that that means you're a certified blockbuster in so many ways and and you know pre-covid pre-covid 100 million dollars was still impressive but post-covid that's massive
Yeah, no, absolutely. It is uh, an amazing achievement, and they've done very well with it. It's in the top one or two in every chart you look at, weekly, daily, everything else. It's it's killing it. It is killing it. And I think I'm hoping maybe between this is the perfect storm between the whole sag after thing and the delay and everything else, maybe this is the perfect opportunity for somebody to say, huh, look at this. Maybe we should look at more movies like this instead of, you know, whatever we're making kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe well, maybe I'm just being hopeful. I think you're being I, I I don't think you're crazy because, you know, I think over the past like five years, there there, there have been people in, in Hollywood who realize that, you know, there is an audience for movies that are driven by by faith or by morality or whatever you want to call it. And and some of these movies have been getting into theaters and surprisingly doing very well, surprisingly to people who don't think much of them. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking uh, of the 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 uh, Kelsey Grammer movie right. uh, that came out a few months ago. You know, I'm thinking about this movie. Uh, you know, I mean, th- these things come out and then everybody is shocked that oh my god, there are people that want to pay money to see this. Yeah, yeah. They, they've proven it for years and years and years. I feel like we've had this conversation, not just you and me, but just in, in media. We've had this conversation since basically The Passion of the Christ came out. Right. That there is an audience for people who want these types of movies, and the people who provide them are going to do pretty well. You know, great example. How about the movie Father Stew? That's a wonderful example. Right. With right. Marky Mark, you know, you know, just a nice inspirational story about this priest. And, you know, they're out there and, and people will go see those movies if you make them. I'm, I agree. I agree. And I think, uh, you know, my hat's off to people like, for example, Jim Caviezel. Did you know that he lost two agents and his attorney over this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two agents just yeah. dropped him. An agent he'd had for 17 years dropped him because he insisted on doing this movie. And then uh, he lost another agent, and then he lost his attorney over the whole deal. And, man, I hope he went in for points on this because he'll be making some bank uh, on this whole deal. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, and boy, his next movie, he's going to do all right. <laughs> what is what's yeah his next movie. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to sign up for next, but whatever he signs up for next, you know, he's he I you know, I think in a lot of ways he's become kind of the poster boy for for this movement. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think he's done a very good job. He is a man of faith and he's put that out there and he's just had faith that this was the right thing to do. And but I mean, when you see people around you that are just like, no, 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 this is not going to go over well in Hollywood. Well, I don't really care if it goes over well in Hollywood. What's going to go over like in flyover America? What are the yeah. what is the average person going to think? And so my hat's off to him. I mean, it really is. He did an amazing job in The Passion of the Christ and he's done he's actually been good in pretty much everything. I've only ever seen him in half a dozen things, but he is, uh, this looks super good and I, I want to go watch it. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on the list. That's all I can say. So, yeah. All right. So next week, tease me. The haunted mansion, Disney's big movie that they're doing all these premieres and they don't have any of the stars. And they're, they're one of the first studios that's really struggling in this new world right now. And uh, it'll be curious to see how the haunted mansion does. Yeah. Um, I don't know about Disney and their live action stuff. Sometimes it's good. Maleficent. Sometimes, eh, you know, I, I just, you know, this one will probably be better because it's not a, a real life or a real action version of one of their classic cartoons. 
Right. Like I think that's what this one has going for it. You know, I, I think, you know, where they suffer is when they're when they're making the live action version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Right. Or the right. live action version of 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 you know the little Beauty Mermaid. and the Beast. Or, yeah. Though, yeah, those yeah. are the ones where they really they really do uh that's where they, well, they get a lot of the controversy. They do and that's what they're getting for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves right now. Yeah. Well they do have a good track record with making <clears throat> movies out of rides. Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. the uh jungle, what was the other one with uh, the rock and uh, Emily Blunt? Oh uh, uh, Jungle Cruise. Jungle yeah. Cruise. I mean, they've made yep. some movies out of some so I mean, okay. But we'll have to see. I remember I actually went through the Haunted Mansion when I was a kid. I went to Disneyland when I was like 10 years old. Yeah. And I still remember the Haunted Mansion. So it would be it'll be entertaining to watch, but we'll uh, we'll have to see. So. All right, my friend. Well, any final thoughts here before I kick you to the curb for the day? No, you know, I'm done. Uh, kick me to the side. I'll see you next week. And uh, everybody just enjoy the weekend. We've got to try. It looks looks like it's going to be sunny. It looks like it's going to be nice. Finally. We're halfway through summer. We've had three sunny days in the entire summer. So I'm ready for something new. Thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Folks, we are out of time. I got to go. Really, I mean it this time. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you on Monday. Terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.